Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, your weekly fix of all things royal, brought to you from Mail Headquarters right here in Kensington. I'm Joe Elvin, and now this week saw an occasion that royal watchers had been waiting years for, the unveiling of the statue to commemorate the late Diana, Princess of Wales. You can see the sculpture by Ian Rank Broadley on screen now. And as you can imagine, we have lots to talk about not least what those brothers were up to. We're getting to that, I promise. But before we get to them, the Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, is here to set the scene. Rebecca, tell us all about the unveiling of the statue itself. Hi, Joe. Yes, well, there were just 13 people there, led by William and Harry at 2pm in the sunken garden yesterday at Kensington Palace. Um, there were no members of the public, no charities, very few media, not even a live stream of the event as we'd normally expect. So people were absolutely agog to see what this uh, statue looked like after it being so long in the making. Yes, indeed. And there has been so much speculation about what this statue might look like. And in the end, I'd say they've played it pretty safe. It looks like Princess Diana, right? What, what's been the response? Well, it's been quite a mixed response, actually. I mean, our critic in the Daily Mail quite liked it. I mean, I think he acknowledged that you know, Diana was the most, one of the most beautiful and iconic women of the 20th century. And there was something quite kind of undefinable about what made her so attractive. So I can imagine that's quite difficult to capture in, you know, that vivacity in, in so kind of a piece of cold, hard metal, really. But our, our critic liked it. The Times, however, gave it an absolute pasting. They described it as horrible and sentimental. So I think you kind of pays your money, it takes your choice. But um, I would say I was very lucky. I got, a, I got managed to get a quick sneak preview of it after the ceremony, but before it opened to the public today. And I have to say, in the flesh, I thought it was all right. I mean, maybe, dare I say, a little bit masculine, but it was kind of quite a strong, powerful, confident Diana. And the fact is, William and Harry are happy with it. So I think that's what matters, isn't it? I, I love, though, that, you know, it was you've had an exclusive little sneak peek when the event itself to unveil it was much smaller than any of us were expecting, even with COVID restrictions in place. So who made the cut? And I understand that some people who even helped fund the statue weren't even invited absolutely so there were just 13 people there William and Harry um, Diana's surviving family which is obviously her brother and her two siblings her best friend uh, Julia Samuel was there who was also actually on the organizing committee and and a handful of people who are involved in kind of executing the whole thing the the um, sculptor, the head gardener, Historic Royal Palaces, the charity that's responsible for the garden. It, it was very, very, very small. Um, and obviously great spin was put on this. This is because of COVID. But, you know, we all know the truth of it is. And, and no one wanted massive scrutiny of the brothers and, you know, how they were together. So, you know, it, it was, yeah, it was very small and pared down. I think some of Diana's friends expressed, you know, a bit of disappointment. They weren't there um, but actually it was quite intimate and quite charming for that at the same time, I think. Now, you did touch on this thing that we've been speculating on for months about the, the dynamic between Princes William and Harry. Now, 
Am I wrong? Am I am I overthinking it to feel that I felt it was a little bit tense and awkward and cordial, but in you know very in a very perfunctory way? I think that's spot on, Joe. To be honest, I mean, obviously, I must stress I wasn't there like most of the British media, but I was given access to every single second of footage afterwards, and I've, as you can imagine, I've been through that with a fine tooth comb. And there is no doubt that while I think they they rightly did what was required of them, they they were, as you say, they were cordial. When you actually looked at the kind of minutes of their interaction it was actually fairly few and far between and it was very much centered around the statue and the gardens and doesn't this look nice and isn't it amazing um but i'm not sure what else we could have expected of them really given everything that's happened over the last 18 months thank you very much for that insight rebecca well this event has of course taken on an even bigger significance since the increasingly public fallout between diana's sons princes william and harry this week, joining me and the Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden, we have a leading expert on the Prince's fallout, historian and biographer Robert Lacey, who has recently written an updated edition of his book, Battle of Brothers. Here it is. A little bit more on that later. Robert, welcome. Tell us what you thought of the Diana statue. I thought it was great. I went down there this morning. Here we are. In so Ke- more than all right. I, I thought, you know, I'm coming yeah. down to Kensington. Let's go and look at it. And here's the news. It's incredibly easy to look at. I mean, whatever you think of it, um, and I think Richard and I are going to disagree creatively on this, um, um, you just walk up. You don't have to pay anything. Uh, you go up past the Round Pond. You walk in. At the moment, there's a small queue. I reckon in the weeks to come, it's going to get lengthened. Mm. And then you walk all the way around the sunken garden at your own speed. Um, there are, the, the, there's a box hedge all the way around it with these rather lovely little windows. And you can look through at the statue from different angles. Um, I, 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 no, I was moved by it. Um, you get to see the garden um, at your own pace. And uh, I also slightly disagreed with Rebecca there. I thought that, um, um, uh, no, we, I think we were wrong if we were looking yesterday for signs of rapprochement between those brothers, because that wasn't the purpose of the meeting, I thought. The gathering showed great judgment. The fact it wasn't a great party or jamboree actually meant we focused on the brothers. Um, and I think the time they spent together as a couple of royal professionals doing a royal professional job where the focus is on their mother and not on a sort of Oprah-style reconciliation, I thought they got the tone exactly right. Mm. Mm. Just back to the statue for a minute. Richard, was it what you were expecting? Um, it was a bit what I was worried about beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we oh always, I think I've said in this program before how difficult it is to portray beautiful people. You know, it really is difficult. We've seen that with that portrait of the Duchess of Cambridge, which I'm afraid didn't do her justice at all. Unlike Robert, I haven't had the privilege yet of seeing it um, live, but from the images I've seen, I would say, um, I'm afraid I just didn't think it was very good at all. Um, Oh, wow. I thought she looked very manly, and to me, she looked remarkably like the actor Sean Bean, I think. (laughs) Oh, my God. Sean I Bean's just want to apologise to the sculptor and the princess right now because I don't think I will, we will ever Sean hear Bean's, a worse insult. No, than that. Well, no, Sean Bean's a very handsome man, but um, you know, it's, not such a pretty lady. It didn't quite catch yeah. Diana, and I thought it was a bit of a cop out to have the children as well. It sort of almost made it beyond criticism by having some sweet children around her. But I mean, um, it had to have a message, didn't it? 
Um, so what else are you going to have? You're going to have a mine, mine detector, or I mean, just to stand there in ermine robes or something. Why not? It's good enough right. for all the manly statues we see around the place. Well, I, I, I mean, this statue's got to live on after Harry and um, William and their feuds are long forgotten, and it's got to actually. Let's not forget either. It's what's the fourth memorial to Diana? Mm. Um, there's the there's the the, the walk, the playground, um, the fountain. Um, they've done pretty well, those boys. I mean, th that's the other thing I thought about the occasion. This represents their campaign to insert their mother into the iconography of the British royal family. Yeah. And if 25 years ago you'd have said there's a great statue in Kensington Palace and all these other uh, uh, um, memorials to Diana, people would have laughed. Now, those mm. brothers did that. The Queen didn't do it, did she? Prince Charles didn't do well, it. Well, it's interesting you say that, though, because with everything going on, you know, the, the great subject of your book, you would wonder if the palace might have wanted to delay this unveiling even further, but it's probably not really possible, is it? And it's interesting palace politics. I mean, Buckingham Palace's writ doesn't really run in Kensington Palace. I mean, that is now effectively run by, by William, as we saw when he kicked Harry out in his joint household. That's, um, that used to be Diana's preserve, it's now William's preserve, and I think the iconography he's raising to his mother with Harry um, is, is, is fascinating. And also, of course, it represents a Spencer takeover. I mean, there wasn't a single member of the House of Windsor there yesterday. And um, why do we think that is? It was, uh, I think they, it was a conscious effort to make it um, a small sort of private family occasion. I mean, just compare it with the unveiling of the statue of the Queen Mother. And that was such a huge occasion. It was live on television. Well, I guess there was no pandemic for one. Yeah, we had yeah. the Queen, we had crowds watching, and it was yeah. a completely different event. But if the Queen had gone to this, then other members of the royal family would have had to go yeah. too. But why would Prince William not even have the Duchess of Cambridge there? I thought that, was, um, that really was fascinating. I mean, you know, she's probably sort of hiding away inside the palace. But I do think it was pressure from Prince Harry. I think that it would have drawn attention to the absence of Meghan and would have then led to more questions. And they wanted that symmetry of just having the sons and no one else. Which but I, is, liked, I like to see a royal outfit, you see. No, <laughs> it's so yeah. sad. Remember, yeah. before he met Meghan, Kate would have been there on every occasion. There would have been yeah. the, the joking, the larking around. And there well, wasn't I mean, that, that's an interesting question. I mean, does it represent pressure from Prince Harry or does it represent thought on William's part not to overload the balance, uh, since Meghan wasn't going to be there. Was it, was it Harry who said, I don't want Catherine there? Or was it William who thoughtfully said, well, all right, we'll do it as a couple of brothers? I got the strong impression that William was sort of going through with being back with his brother through gritted teeth. I mean, I, from everything I saw, he never once looked Harry in the eye. I, I noticed that. And so you say we're reading into it. but we, Well, no, I, I'm not disagreeing with Richard for a second. But I think, and we've got to get used to this for the future, that's irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, the sort of expectation they're going to hug in front of their, 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 their mother devalued the situation. I mean, and I thought it was a very professional performance. But yeah. do you think, given how bad we know things have been, has this unveiling yesterday improved it any iota? Oh, I think it has. But I think it's reminded us of the reality. Harry's chosen a different course. I happen to think it's the right course. I mean, he's the first spare to get it right. Just get the hell out of there and create your own life. And he's doing that. And now the family's got to adjust to it. One, one thing that no one's really picked up on is 
the level of coordination between the brothers, because you might have noticed they were both wearing navy suits. And now Harry's just never been... That that's just what all royal men do. Uh, no, no, Prince <laughs> Harry has been like stuck to his grey suit ever since he met Meghan. I think yeah. she suggested you look best in grey and he's always worn it. But on this occasion, he wore navy. And that was Diana's favourite suit for a man, was always navy. If you look at Prince Charles at her funeral, he, he didn't wear black, he wore a navy suit. And that's because... Diana liked him best in Navy. So there was definitely significance in that, I think. Mm. What do you think the future holds for these two, Robert? If you've got William you know, apparently, allegedly calling Meghan that bloody woman, mm. no matter what peace they come to, they're not going to be holidaying together anytime soon, are they? No, but does it matter? I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the royal family well, is a representation of Diana, family. wouldn't it? You know. Well, yes and no. I mean, yeah. if they can treat each other with civility, and I thought a certain humour um, uh, in the presence of their mother. I mean, lots of people say, what would Diana make of it if she was around? Well, she was around um, yesterday afternoon and um, physically there and in their hearts and minds. And I thought that was reflected in their behaviour. Um, and I think we've all got to grow up and accept the fact that um, they are going to stay separate. I mean, it happens in every family. I mean, well, not in many families. You marry, you go off for your new partner, different life. There may or may not be personal disagreements. And um, uh, the sort of cosy old house of Windsor, I think, has got to get used to it. And I guess this, this country has such a maternal sense over the both of them. I think that yeah. that's why people care, isn't it? Yes, I mean, but I would say that, that, that those years when we saw William and Kate and Harry happily tagging along as the number three, those are the odd years. Um, and the sensible years are when he's got a partner, you know, whatever we think of her and them, they've, they've created their new life. And that's the reality that the royal family's got to live with. And I think it's a good thing. Mm. I mean, the problem when they were both there, this town was too small for both of them. And so... Um, Harry's actually seeded the stage. What mm. times, what times. Well, after the unveiling, the sculptor Ian Rank broadly spoke about the process and we can hear a bit of that now. Uppermost in my mind was, in fact, to actually do something for the princes. I mean, you know, for all that the princess was a very public figure and in many respects an icon, that she was somebody's mother. So that's, I paid the greatest heed to both princes and what they had to say. And in many ways, it was a collaborative effort they made a huge contribution. And I, in many ways, I could say that the sculpture belongs to them as well. They helped make it. Well, I think why this differs from, from other royal sculpture, and particularly statues, is that it is, is much less formal. If you think of, you know, Sir Thomas Brock's statue of Queen Victoria outside Buckingham Palace, or even much later, George V's statue uh, you know, near Parliament, these are very formal images. Uh, they're on plinths. And I think here we have something which, again, is very formal, which is very accessible, which is not really on a plinth, it's just a series of steps. So, again, I think it's much more approachable. And it relates very much to how the princess was in real life. The fact that their mother is there, you know, in a real physical sense. Perhaps, you know, in the evening when, you know, the grounds are shut, they could easily come here for a moment of quiet reflection. And I hope that would give them some sort of comfort or solace. Ian Rank broadly there. Let's go back to the panel now. Robert, the involvement of the princes, very interesting, but obviously their working together was before this grand falling out. Well, what's your take on how that process must have been? Well, I was interested to hear the, the suggestion there that um, maybe they even got too involved. I mean, he, 
he, he, slightly, he slightly stated between strained teeth, didn't he? <laughs> Collaboration. <laughs> well, as if that wasn't usual in clients. And so I think that, again, must temper our view of the, 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 the statue. I, I would, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with Richard. It's a bit Madame Tussauds. I mean, it, it's... But who, at the end of the day, can, you know, can say definitively what a statue should look like? Mm. Um, I take... Um, heart and interest from the fact that it clearly represented what these two young men wanted to present to the world. And we can like it or not, but that's their vision of their mother. I mean, the, the phrase too many cooks does spring to mind when you hear about how collaborative the process was. But I think, I mean, when you're talking about an iconic figure like Diana, they couldn't possibly have just left it to artistic interpretation, could they? I suspect the collaboration involved in commissioning and organising this sculpture was the easy part because that was before they fell out, really. Yeah, What's yeah. been hard is the organisation of, of this event. Mm -hmm. You know, my goodness, we've heard, you know, stories about, you know, Megan's going to come or she's not going to come, Harry's going to bring Archie, you know, this type of thing. It it's, must have been a nightmare from start to finish. So uh, I think yes, and, and there was the plan that we were talking about. They were going to give separate speeches a week ago we were all told separate speeches. Yeah, that got canned. Well, well very sensible of them, mm. and, and how sensible and symbolic to have a joint written statement. Well, but, I wonder um, how many drafts have been thrown <laughs> out. You might yeah. find they've written... Well, again, that was an extremely short statement. No yeah. room for interpretation, no, no. no room for nuance, no room for anybody getting mm. upset about this word or that word. You know. I'll try and find out, but I yeah. suspect they both wrote speeches which, yeah. you know, have been thrown out over yeah. the years. Because we've seen them give speeches about Diana that were very different in the past. So yeah, um, definitely, and you know, one noted didn't one when the Dyson report came out, William got straight in there with what he wanted to say, and then Harry had his version. And Harry actually contradicted William. He said, um, it's not just about the BBC, um, it, it's about all media. Um, so I think they were wise well, to avoid two separate tributes. That is Harry's tune, isn't it? All, mm. all media. I mean, part of the problem, do you think, Robert, is all of this discussion detracts from the fact that this is supposed to be an unveiling of the people's princess. Mm -hmm. There's been actually not that much discussion about her in all of this. Oh, I disagree there. I okay. think, um, you, you know, the, uh, um, it's been striking. I think the number of documentaries on television about Diana... Um, young people saying to me, I didn't know that about her. I didn't realize she was such a significant figure. You know, I, I'm involved in, in The Crown. And, uh, you know, people are watching episode season, season four of The Crown. Um, kids are looking at their Wikipedia to say, you know, I know everybody's saying, is it Crown true or not? But, you know, did this really happen? And this nice old lady, Camilla, Look at the vamp she was <laughs> and the role that she played. It's fascinating. Now, I do want to bring up this thing that I mentioned earlier, Diana sort of asking her sons to promise to always be best friends. Mm. What, what, what do you make of how she well, would feel? I, it's in my book. Um, I don't know if anyone else has ever got it. I was told that by her friend Simone Simmons, her healer, um, her, her, her friend, um, and she has a very clear memory of Diana actually staging what was almost a little ceremony and saying to the two boys, look, uh, and, you know, maybe, maybe Simone's being a bit wise after the event. I mean, but Diana how talking. How old were they? Um, they were then, um, this is about two years before she died. So okay, you know, so old yeah. enough. Yes, yeah. oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And saying it is so important in the future that uh, you stick together and you are each other's best friends. And um, will you promise that? And they did, and they sort of high-fived, apparently. 
then they went out and played soccer. And I think until the rift happened, you would say there was a definite feeling of um, cohesiveness. Uh, you know, you look at uh, their two weddings, uh, exactly the same guest list virtually. Um, and then there's something else I'd say that, um, you know, th th there has been the war, but it hasn't been like the War of the Waleses when you had people like Fatty Soames slagging off Diana in public. None of, uh, the, I mean, the friends have taken sides and they sympathize with their respective prince, but they never speak yeah. on the record and scarcely off the record against the other mm. one. And the friends I've spoken to have this sense of sadness, despair almost, you know, the fact that at the funeral they were hoping for so much. Yeah. And then they apparently get at each other's throats the moment they're off camera, which does show what good performers they are. Well, it's interesting. Before you go, I do want to ask you a few questions about this updated book. Just keep that on there again. Battle of Brothers, out now. Um, how much did you find had changed? Well, I was, uh, I, I was both lucky, and I'll take credit for getting one good source who helped me at the very beginning of the book about the, 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 the row between the brothers when William asked um, Harry to go slow just as, of course, he effectively auditioned Catherine um, in their long courtship. For many years. <laughs> For many years. And Harry said, why the hell yeah. should I do that? You know, yeah. you've you got duty, I've got love. And then, um, yes, it was a stroke of luck about, I, I was just getting towards the end of finishing this paperback version, when the Times came out with their bullying revelations, and this, this friend of mine was talking to William and just dared to venture to mention what was going on at the Times. And William said to my friend, that's what it's all about. Mm. He said, you know, we did have a bit of a row, uh, well, more than a row, over the courtship. But it was five months after the, the wedding, I got presented by um, uh, Jason Knauf, the you know, communications guy, who until then was entirely Meghan's man and fighting her corner with these allegations. We have to stress the allegations of bullying. And I exploded and phoned him up and he slammed the phone down. I went round to argue with him. And that's when I said, I don't want him in my household anymore. So that was the scoop, if you like, that, um, that, that I got and put in the updated version of this book. What do you think, how much water do you think this narrative holds that, you know, there are those people who, who think that it's Meghan's got such a hold over Harry. Meghan's pulling all the strings. Meghan is manipulating him to sort of like, you know, be ostracized from his family. She's causing the rift. What, what's your view on that? Well, as someone from the palace might say, I, I know nothing to guide you in any other direction. I mean, you know, I don't know anything, but I don't know of anything that contradicts that particular picture. I don't know about you, Richard. I think it's a, it's a bit unfair because I think that Harry... Um, Meghan came at the right time for him. That you know, he yeah. sort of wanted to escape. He was, um, he'd been keen to marry his two previous girlfriends, frankly, mm. you know, and he was, um, he was very keen to have children. He actually spoke about that openly. So he he really sort of wanted to be. <laughs> so, so I don't think he needed that much manipulation no, and, or encouragement. And, and he's spoken about it himself. He himself has said, "I don't like this word Mexit because it was my." decision. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I take that at face value mm. as well. Yes. Do you see any path forward to a meaningful reconciliation? Not the, you know, embracing reconciliation we perhaps would like, uh, like to imagine. I mean, let's not forget there is, is a distinction between working members of the royal family and blood members. It's, it's not as neat 
as everybody's been saying for the last year, you're either in or you're out. Because, you know, Harry spent a year negotiating how to be out, and then he's signed the deal, um, he's free, but the very first interview he gives makes clear that he's in, because yeah. the moment he says anything, he's, he's, he's saying it as a royal person. So, um, as somebody from the palace said to me, there's sharing and there's oversharing. And I think when he's got that balance right, then maybe there'll be some way ahead. But the, the other aspect, of course, is that um, it's very difficult for these two brothers to negotiate any sort of settlement, while William is fearing that what he says to Harry will be passed through Oprah mm. or yeah. Gail King or one of those other oh. American sources. Oh, Scobie, your um, best friend. <laughs> whatever, <laughs> I mean, whatever discussions they've had between, you know, Harry and William, whether it's about the football or whatever, while Harry's been here, they won't have been very serious. I mean, William knows there's no point without Meghan being there. No. There's no point in discussing anything serious mm. because it will have to go through her anyway. Mm. I mean, the, the thing to look at is... Um, We've all been looking forward to the statue unveiling and what that's going to bring, and I think we've seen it now. Um, the next thing to look at is who's going to be on the Jubilee balcony next year. I mean, there will be two Jubilee balcony occasions, this time ne well, a bit before this time next year, June. Um, I understand, well, you know, I don't think it's any secret, the Queen has made it clear that she would like, she's inviting the Sussexes, um, the whole family, well, that was the last occasion, Robert. See yes, there. there we are. Is that 2019? Yes, that so was yeah. the last time they were yeah. on the balcony. So will we have Lily and Archie down here next, um, next June? That'll be the test of it. Mm. I hope so, because we want to update our photographs. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have concentrated, for obvious reasons, on Harry and William today. But what about Harry and Charles and the rest of the family? Yeah. We haven't really discussed how that relationship may be healing or otherwise well i think it's it's sad that um charles wasn't there um and i've never seen so many members of the royal family in scotland this week you know <laughs> to be as far away as possible but the queen came back that day to go to the royal windsor horse show and we will be seeing all the royals at that event i'm sure mm. so i do think that's sad but it, it was part of it was in keeping with what they wanted for this event you know they wanted it to be small so Charles was very much not, not part of it at all. And it is interesting the way in which, with the um, Oprah interview, the, the story opened out onto Charles because we were all focusing on, the, sh on the, the, the rift between the brothers. But when Oprah asked Harry, well, what, what, what about William? He virtually repeated what he said to Tom Bradby, we'll always be brothers, I love him to death. Quite conciliatory, mm. though we're on different paths. But and, sorry, I just want to say, yeah. then she asked the same thing about Charles, and Harry could easily have said, well, you know, you, um, you know my dad's been a good dad. But he, you could see him pause and consider it and then say, I do feel let down. It was like watching a deliberate attack yeah. on his father. But that makes me wonder, do you think Charles is playing any role at all in the relationship between his sons? Is he providing any sort of arbitration. Well, I'm sure Richard's got a view. My yeah. view is that um, no, unfortunately. I mean, mm. his, his um, allegiance to Camilla, which ruined their original marriage, um, the fact that uh, there was never any sense in which Camilla was a stepmother to them, the fact that Charles has been obsessed with converting um, Camilla's status from princess consort to full queen, I am told that that's what he talks to them now about. Mm. Will you agree to me making Camilla a full queen? 
when the time comes. And if that's his priority, it's scarcely parenting, is it? I mean, from what I've heard so far, um, Harry hasn't met Prince Charles on this, this visit. I mean, it remains to be seen if he sees him before he flies back to America, but he hasn't up until this point. So, you know, that, that's interesting in yeah. itself, I think. That is all we have time for today on this fascinating subject. I'm sure we will be back to it again. Uh, Robert Lacey's book, updated book, Battle of Brothers, William, Harry and the Inside Story of a Family in Tumult is out now, published by William Collins. My big thanks to Robert and to Richard and Rebecca English today. We'll join you again next week for more Royal Stories. Goodbye. Goodbye.